Electricast. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 139 of the Burden of Command podcast. This is a production of the Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me, your host, Earl Brian, and the services I provide through the Leadership Phalanx, you can visit www.leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Today's guest is Mr. Rick Maurer. Rick is a speaker, author, consultant, and expert on helping leaders avoid resistance to change. Since the publication of his first book, Beyond the Wall of Resistance, in the 90s, Rick's opinion has been sought by the Wall Street Journal, CNBC, NBC Nightly News, Fortune, and many other media outlets. Some of the largest companies in the world ask for his advice on ways to avoid resistance to change and ways to build strong support for changes and other big projects. Now, we're going to be talking a lot about his new book, Seizing Moments of Possibility, Ways to Trigger Energy and Forward Momentum on Your Ideas and Plans. And I think with the environment we're in, that this is an extremely appropriate time to be having this conversation because... As you see through this discussion, we have a lot of moments of possibility that we can be seizing thanks to the pandemic and some other things that are going on right now. So without further ado, I'm going to get out of your way, let that stinger play, and let you get into this outstanding interview with Mr. Rick Maurer. Well, Rick, hello and uh, welcome to the Burden of Command podcast today. Thanks, Earl. It's good to be here. Oh yeah, I'm I'm happy to have you here, and I can't wait to have this uh, this great discussion. I'm sure we're getting ready to have. Uh, but before we do, I got to start you off where I start off all my guests. When you hear the phrase "burden of command," what does that mean to you? Well, the first image I get is military, and since I do my work in organizations and change in organizations, then I think of those men and women who are leading major projects and. They're obvious as a burden of command. That doesn't mean they're doing all of the grunt work, but they're making sure that it keeps moving so that they're successful. And that's a burden. Yeah. No, and and I'm sure, you know, in the pre-roll bio, I mentioned some of the folks that you've worked with, but, you know, working with NASA, working with uh, Tulane, uh, you know, working with Lockheed Martin, uh, I'm sure you've you've ran into a lot of those situations where that has just been absolutely critical, right? Actually, most of the time, if they call me in, not just to do a speech, but like, hey, we're getting stuck and we need to build support, quite often uh, the notion of burden of command, that phrase never even left their lips. I mean, for some reason, something got delegated or dumped on people, but when it's not working quite often there can be a lot of reasons but quite often the leader or that leadership team is not doing what they need to do to let people know there are adults in the room and they're in charge so now when you run into that just kind of anecdotally speaking and maybe you have numbers i don't know um how often do you find it's because they don't want to or maybe they don't have the necessary skill set to do that Actually, that's a very, very good question. Uh, I try to uh, make sure that people know that if they really don't want to do this, they shouldn't hire me. And frankly, there was a time when I would get hired to come in. I th 
And I think the reason was, well, we're hiring Rick because he wrote a book. And then if it doesn't work, <laughs> we can blame Rick. Um, but what I find, like quite often these days, I'll say to a potential client, I said, scale up one to five. How important is it going to be for you to build support for change? And almost always they say four or five. And I believe they're sincere. The problem is that people are so busy and there's so much technical detail, stuff that needs to happen, kind of just, you know, inundating people that it's really hard for leaders to do what it takes to build support. It almost feels like the notion of support and engagement, that that's an add-on, like an extra thing I need to do. And so you just see the people getting tired just <laughs> watching me walk in the room. So it's my job to say, hey, no, 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 we need to figure ways out to blend support into what you're already doing. But but it's a huge challenge, even for people who, who do want to do it right. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's a key thing here, right? So again, I mentioned a lot of what you do in, in uh, the pre-roll bio, but I think, would you think it would be fair for me to classify what you do primarily as uh, that, that change management, helping organizations through change and transition? Yes. I've actually narrowed my focus uh, in the last couple of years. My specialty for about 25 years has been one part of change management, and that's based on two questions, and that's why do people support us and why do they resist us? And that is the focus of my work. So I've worked on big projects where that was my focus and there would be other consultants. But now I think the best use of me is to, for lack of a better word, teach the planning group, the leadership group, uh, how, how do you build support? How do you blend it in and give them opportunities to try all of that out safely? Uh, and then... I'm, I'm in the background and they can call me there. I'm on retainer, but then I'm not a consultant who appears on Monday. I leave on Friday. Next Monday, I go, I'm back again because I, uh, I just don't think it's a good use of my time or, or their money. So, it's, so right now, I just focus on helping people. Like, how can I lead in a way that actually builds enthusiasm, energy and forward momentum? Yeah, no, I, I love it. And, and, and the reason I asked that question that way is, you know, um, uh, I, I've familiarized myself with your work uh, coming on the show, but up until then, like really the the, the person I'd, I'd used a lot was, uh, you know, Cotter's eight-step change model. And, uh, you know, I can just see, like based on what you were talking, is by the time you show up, like people have already heard about change. They probably already had a couple of folks uh, trying to, to get them uh, to, to change. And, it, this is just seen as like, oh my gosh, here's another person talking <laughs> about change because, and, and uh, maybe you're, again, maybe your experiences are different, but for me, like when, when most organizations start change, they, they kind of skip the, some of those steps and they end yeah. up, you know, they've already got the vision, they've already got the plan and they're ready to execute it. And they really haven't gotten a lot of uh, feedback and buy-in from the people in the organization, right? That's right. And by the way, I like John Cotter's model. I think it's very good. What I don't like, and this is not a criticism of his model, is that people will go through those eight steps and they'll put slides up. But it's like, I don't know, it's like 
getting on the scales every morning and saying, yeah, I'm on a diet. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's not the, it's not the same. And, and if you used, if you really applied what Cotter is suggesting and just said, all right, so how do we bring this to life? I think it, it, he's got a really, really good approach. But to your point, quite often people like me are brought in way after that, like they're ready, they're ready to go live next Monday and they're going, okay, we got to get a lot of people on board. And that's just way too late. Yeah. And well, and, and just, you know, again, in your experiences, how much easier does it go when you get the people on board and, and help build the change initiative oh. versus what normally happens? Well, it's much. Yeah, that's a very easy question uh, because that's it makes it so much easier. In fact, somewhere on my business card, I have a phrase change without migraines. And I remember when I would give my card to somebody on a plane, they would look at it and laugh and say, is that possible? Can you actually have change without headaches? And the answer is, yeah, if you get people engaged, that doesn't mean that there aren't problems and challenges and all of that. But all of that stuff of working with inertia and resistance, it doesn't go away. But it's just so it's it's not a big deal. I mean, it's you've got people on your side. And let me get can I tell you one story? You can tell me all the stories you want. Okay. Um, a number of years ago, uh, healthcare in the U.S. was going through some major changes, and the major change wasn't on the medical front. It was how they approached their hospitals as businesses, and that was just a new concept for a lot of these nonprofits. And so it created a lot of upheaval. And some of the healthcare places I was doing work, it was a real problem. Like, how do we start thinking like business people? And I was doing some work in a small. Uh, church-run hospital, and they were going through a lot of changes, and I didn't hear that kind of complaining and defeatism and all that I would hear other places. And I was talking to the CEO, and I said, you know, you're facing the same challenge as everybody else is facing, right? And he said, oh, yeah. And I said, but people aren't complaining. What's, What's going on? And he said, well, he said, there's a couple of things. He said, one, He said, because I'm the CEO, I get invited to a ton of meetings. I mean, sometimes my day is filled up with meetings where people want to have me there just to add credence to what they're doing or for whatever reason. And he said, I say yes always, but I always say, but you've got to give me the last four minutes to talk about whatever I want to talk about. And he said, in those four minutes, I say, what's on my mind? He said, I'm not trying to lead them somewhere. These are not breadcrumbs. But I might say, hey, did you see the paper this morning? That hospital down the road is building a new cardiac wing. I don't know what impact it's going to have on us, but it's got my attention. And he said, I just want people to know what keeps me awake at night. And he said, the other thing is every three months, everyone affiliated with our hospital, whether they're a surgeon or administrator, somebody who draws blood, whatever, they get a one-page quarterly report. And it shows how we're doing with uh, patient outcomes. That's the percentage of people who get better or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, patient satisfaction, like customer satisfaction, financial performance. And he said, and we can see this little graph. And we are part of a 12 hospital system. We see how we're doing compared to our brother and sister hospitals. And we also can see how we're doing using some national data. And he said, there are very few comments on there. They're just a bullet point here or there, but basically the charts. And he said, what happened? And People started coming into me and saying, hey, boss, 
our customers or uh, client satisfaction scores are going down. And we got curious why that was. So we started looking around. We think we know why. And we've got a suggestion for improving that. Mm. And he says, you know, so not only were we not getting resistance to change, he said people were coming to me with ideas. And I mean, that's a very different concept that we got to drag people along. And I've seen other organizations do similar things. And so now you've got a ton of people who really care about improving quality or whatever the, the big issue is. Oh, yeah. No, I love that. And I, I like that change without migraines because uh, that, that's the title of your YouTube videos as well, right? That, that's right. Yes. Yeah. And folks, if you haven't, get on YouTube and check out those videos. I'll have links to them in the show notes here, but there are some great videos. But I mean, but but that's that's a great story, right? And it, it, it's it's always amazing to me how, you know, books can get written that, that a lot of top CEOs have read, like uh, Tribal Leadership and the story of Griffin Hospital. And and they'll read it and they'll hear that story and they're like, oh, man, that is amazing. <laughs> and yet they go out and they do the old way instead of this this new way that you're talking about. Yeah. So why is that? <laughs> Have you figured that um, out yet? <laughs> well, <laughs> No, unfortunately, but I, but I, I, I do think I, I have some understanding of why. I think the same reason that we make New Year's resolutions and very few people follow them. And like, I, I love going to the gym. I'm, uh, and even though I haven't been, wasn't able to during the pandemic, something always happened right after New Year's. Like I did not want to go there on January 2nd. Mm-hmm. And when I tell audiences that, they laugh because anybody who goes to the gym knows the place is jammed on January 2nd. And it stays jammed for a month, a month and a half, and then it goes back to normal. And the reason is, we, and there's a lot of research on this, that we make promises, but we, we do them out of context. And like, okay, yeah, all right, I've got to, I got to get in shape. Yeah, for, for whatever reason, I got to get in shape. And we didn't think, oh, that means I'm going to get, have to get up an hour and a half earlier, mm-hmm. three days a week. Oh, that means. And so we get into something without really thinking about, so what does it mean? What, what, can I, what will really support that? And so often, and this happens with change, we start way too big. Um, you know, we were uh, talking just before we went live about uh, the, my book, Seizing Moments of Possibility. I really, I'm really more and more trying to work with clients on what's a simple thing you could do right now. And that simple thing can op- start to open doors. Yeah. No, I, and, and I like what you just said there because that is that is super powerful. You know, I've had a couple of folks on here before talking about lean. Uh, I had one gentleman, Mark Deluzio, who, who learned the, the Toyota production system from the masters of the Toyota production system. And we had a similar conversation, and, and and you know he made a great point about that those simple improvements. That is what kaizen actually is. It's not reinventing yes. the wheel every day. It's how do you make the wheel smoother, a little bit less friction, a yep. little bit more round, incremental positive improvements, not bold jumps. It now sometimes you do <laughs> have to make the bold jump ahead, but that's not every day. Yep. I, I agree. I think I think we can learn. Still, could learn a lot from the Toyota production system. In fact, uh, there's a, a thing I was reminded of and, and used it in my recent book that Ono, who was one of the I don't recall his first name, was one of the leaders in creating the 
the Toyota system, there's a thing called the Ono Circle. And basically, I was working in an organization that used Lean Six Sigma, and part of the workshop was to experience that. And so I wasn't on right there. And I said, sure, I'll take part. So they just put me in a workstation and they said, stand there for a half an hour and just watch. And what do you notice? And it was amazing what I would see. Like there'd be this one guy who would do something and then he would take five, six steps to walk across the station, pick up something, bring And I started going, why all those extra steps? What's going on here? That it was it was taking it down to the, to the essentials. And apparently when Ono would do it, he would have you stand there for a few hours and he'd say, so Earl, what did you observe? And you say, well, da, 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 da. And he said, no, you missed it. Stand there for a couple more hours. <laughs> uh, I mean, you could, <laughs> it's, it's, it, that's quite a bit to do for us in our culture, but it's that thing of, can we observe right what's in front of us right now, you know, without adding, you know, all kinds of extra stuff. And I think working with Kaizen seriously is exactly what's in front of us right now and how can we make tweaks. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll tell you, so I'll share a, a story here of one that I ran into. Uh, so I live in uh, just outside of Indianapolis and uh, we've got uh, the, the number one North American uh, Subaru factory uh, over in West Lafayette. And, and I had the pleasure of getting a tour of that uh, facility. And, and while I'm going through the facility, I hear this. I mean, it's very pleasant, very stereotypical, but very pleasant uh, kind of Japanese sounding music. And I, I heard it a couple of times. I was like, I finally asked the, the safety uh, officer who was giving us the tour. So what does that mean? And she looks at me and says, oh, uh, something's wrong with the line. Huh. And I'm like, but. Shouldn't there be like a, a, a buzzer or something, you know, because that's what we're used to, that real hard. It's like, and, and she goes into this whole thing and she's like, well, no, here's what we found. And she talks about how that harsh sound gets the heart rate going, leads to more mistakes trying to fix the problem. Whereas this nice, pleasant sound keeps people in a calm, cool, collected state. And they're able to, yeah, it's, it's, we're talking 15, 20, 30 seconds a pop here. But they're able to fix that machine and get it back up and running because they're not shook out of their routine. But that's the kind of nice little brilliant change just by changing yeah. the music that, that can make all the difference in the world, right? I agree. You know, and I, I, I didn't know that story. That is, that's absolutely wonderful. I, I want to tour the plant. I, I've got, you know, uh, but I think there's something else going on, too. It doesn't embarrass the people like that meh buzzer. Man, if we're, you know, it's like they shine a spotlight on us and we're the guilty ones. And, but, the, you know, it's giving the same message, but it's it's just seems so much more respectful. Oh, yeah. Well, so you, you remind me. So I'm a big uh, hockey fan, uh, Nashville Predators, my team. Uh, but I don't remember who the goalie was. It was many years ago. But, but he made a very similar comment to what you just made there. He said, look, he goes, everybody always wonders what's the most stressful job in all of sports. And some people will say quarterback, some people will say center and, and basketball or point guard or whatever he goes, I'm here to tell you it's a goaltender. Said why? Because you can do your job, you can do your job perfectly 99% of the time. But when you do mess up, there's a big red light that goes off and a siren that tells the entire arena that you just messed up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, uh yeah. Well, so when we know all these things, right? Um <laughs> 
And, 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 you know, you've talked a little bit about energy and we've talked a little bit about, you know, some better ways. But, but again, as we've talked all too often, there is a lack of energy uh, really being put into it. Uh, or the energy gets sucked out of the organization because, mm-hmm. oh, we're going down this path. Now we want to shift 30, 40 degrees and go down this other path. Why is that lack of energy so deadly and what kind of problems can it create? Well, um, <clears throat> I was right before the pandemic, there was, um, I was working some on a change with a, a, a client and I was walking with one of the senior uh, managers into a meeting and he said, oh, yeah, Rick, this is going to be another one of those meetings where we fill out forms, fill in the blanks. I mean, it was just this is an important <laughs> thing they were working on, but they had sapped all the life out of it. So people were almost just going through the motions. And the problem is what you get is you get C student uh, kind of results. I, a few years ago, I wanted to hike. Uh, a trail in the Grand Canyon called Rim to Rim. And what that means is you start on the North Rim, you hike down, you descend a mile in elevation, and you cross the Colorado River, you walk up the other side for four-fifths of a mile. The whole hike is about 24 miles in length. So it's a lot of up and down at a high elevation. And a client of mine has, lives out there and has done it a few times. And, and he said, yeah, I've come up with a way to train for that. And I said, I'd love to hear it. He said, well, he said, I, there are three ways to do it successfully. I mean, he reminded me of how you could do it unsuccessfully and die of dehydration and all that. But I knew those things. He said, three ways to do it successfully. One is you make it to the other side within 24 hours. That gives you bragging rights of saying, hey, I did the rim to rim. He said, but you have nothing left. You get up over that rim and it's like all you got. But you can say, I did it. But you're just kind of miserable. The second level of doing it is you're in shape. You're, you're going to do it fine, but you're nervous because there's a lot of hiking on rocks. There's a lot of uh, uh, on the, the, the half, first half of the hike, you're going down and sometimes going down pretty steeply. And you can be really nervous about where you're putting your feet. And he said, the problem with that is that you miss the canyon. All you're looking at are your feet. Uh, he said, the third way is that you are in shape for it, and you're confident in your ability to hike on terrain like that, and it becomes just a great walk where you're in one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I said, okay, I'll take option three. And he said, all right, here's how you train for that. The difference, uh, to, to get to your question specifically, the cost that it can have is if people don't have any energy, they may get to the finish line, but sort of so what? I mean, nothing is really better as a result of it, or very little. And if what you need is something significant, like we've really improved quality, or we really, you know, have taken on more customers, whatever it is, but we've done it significantly, that's a different level of energy. And you need that different level of energy from day one, and it needs to stay alive. Yeah. Well, no. And, and what I like about that is, is you're right, because I think that is the other thing where with a lot of change initiatives uh, that come along is too many people believe that that this change is going to be the change and they put all this <laughs> time and effort into it. And then when they get that change and somebody comes along and says, OK, well, now this new thing has happened. Now we got to change again. 
like you said, they, they get to the finish line and they're, 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 they're done. But now you're being asked to basically go rim to rim again. <laughs> That's because it's, yeah. it's, it's a continue. It, ch- it changes the continuous cycle anymore, right? It it is, and I and I love that you you picked up on the image of yeah. Then you got to do the rim to rim trail again, and people get worn out. I mean, you just don't do that every day, you know. And yeah. and when your life is that, it's hard. I remember uh, years ago when Jack Welsh was the head of GE, they had project teams on tons of things, and one of the things he noticed was project teams, they would off, big projects would be put on teams that were already doing really good work. They're ones who get things done, but they got no relief. And so everything was a top priority. And he said publicly, all right, folks, if you're a project leader and somebody says, okay, you're going to need to take on this new project because it's top priority, you need to say, great, now, which of these other projects do you want me to put on the back burner for now? Because we're already working at 100%. You can't work at 110%, by the way. So we're already working at 100%. And he used the image of a guy who used to, there used to be a guy on uh, variety shows on television, and he would spin plates. And he would have a wooden dowel rod, and he'd put a, a plate on it, and he would start spinning it. And then he'd put up another and another. And by the time he was really... I don't know, in full swing, he might have six or seven plates spinning, you know, and as one started to you know, totter a bit, he would go over and give it an extra little boost. And he said, what? And you keep thinking, God, he, how can he do that? And I think, I think Welsh said the way he could do that is he knew exactly how many plates he could spin. Right. And if he had one more plate, he would put all of those at risk. And he said, as project managers, that's what you got to do. You got to say, I can't take any more plates so which of these do you want me to put back on the shelf for now? Yeah. It's a powerful thing, and it takes real guts from a leader to, to do that, but I think it's what it takes. Well, yeah, and I think it's very critical, right? Because we, we keep using this this term, uh, you know, multitasking. I'm multitasking. I can multitask. And, you know, the science has proven we can't. <laughs> That's you right. Know, we, you know, we, we, we do uh, what's called thin slicing, which means we can <laughs> we can spin back and forth between them like the guy spinning the plates. Yes. But you just hit the nail on the head there. I think most people don't know how many plates they can spend. And sadly, with the volume of, of responsibility that a lot of these organizations have these days, you know, the, the answer to that question is usually one, maybe two. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, so and by the way, and what people will do, they'll say, the, the leaders will say, oh, but all of these are important. Okay. Are, are they all, you know, but if you do it this way, it's not going to work. Yeah. You know, and it's, yeah. So that's where that burden of command, that phrase that you use uh, so elegantly, it's, that's exactly part of the burden of command. You have to have the guts to say, no, we're not going to do it this way. Which of the plates do you want to put back on the shelf for now? And I, and, and I'll give you air cover on that. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and again, I love where you're going with that because, and as a, as the leader having the, the humility to step aside and be like, Hey, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and not take it as a personal hit or, or I, when I, and again, maybe your mileage uh, is a little bit different than mine on this, but what I see a lot of times when somebody does try to do that is the classic response is, well, you're just resistant to change. You need to get on board. And, and yeah. that's not necessarily the case, right? 
It's not. I mean, people people resist for good reasons. We may not agree with the reasons, but they do resist for good reasons. And quite actually, I identified kind of three levels of resistance, and I can just do it very quickly. And they are: I don't get it, I don't like it, or I don't like you. Mm-hmm. And so, what often can happen is the resistance is coming because people don't understand what you're talking about, or I shouldn't say or because these can be in combination. The I don't like it is really fear. There's something about this that scares me. I'll lose my job. I'll lose face, blah, blah, blah. And the third one is, it's not that I don't like you, the leader, but it's I don't have trust and confidence in you to really do what it takes to make this successful. And when that happens, you'll get resistance. It may be very quiet resistance. It might be grumbling, or it could be in your face. But people resist for a good reason. And what that's maybe the biggest thing, impact I've had, I think, with leaders is those who say, man, I really love that model. In fact, I keep, <laughs> I keep a card in my wallet to remind myself because we often, it's, it doesn't mean that the resistance is our fault all the time, but it's there because of something going on and we need to pay attention to it. Yeah, no, and I think that was a, a great word there. And, and the perfect word actually is trust. I mean, that is really yes. the root of a lot of this is trust, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so- I, can, Oh, go right ahead. I just want to give you another story that I I, I, I really like. Absolutely. <laughs> it's okay. All right. So I was doing work with a large organization, and every month they would bring a group of managers together. And these were the up-and-coming managers. These are the people that they were hoping would really move into senior positions over the years. And this is a huge company. And the chief operating officer would kick off those training sessions personally. Now, he's a very busy man, and he, he easily could have done a video or sent somebody that said, you know, say, hey, John couldn't be here today, but boy, he wants, you know, that kind of thing. And he didn't, he would be there in person, and he'd say, folks, I, I wanted to be here. Uh, I, I look forward to this every month, mainly because you're the future of our organization. And he said, I, he said, I want to give you a choice. We've got an hour together. I can show you the slideshow that we prepared for Wall Street. And it, tell, it, it explains where we are in the marketplace, what our competitors are doing. He said, it's a very thoughtful presentation. I'd be happy to turn it on and sit down and watch it with you. Or we don't have to turn the projector on and I can just ask questions. Uh, you answer questions for the next hour. I've been in the back of the room, I don't know, 15, 20 times when he said that. The group has never said, show us the slideshow, ever. <laughs> and so they start asking questions, generally with level one, I don't get it questions. I mean, really, sometimes just slow pitch, kind of like, hey, uh, John, there's a lot of talk about that July 15th initiative. When will that be starting? And he'll go, well, that'd be on July 15th. I mean, it's, all, <laughs> it's never that obvious, but it's like that because people are just testing the water. And yeah. then... Uh, that things get a little, uh, I don't know, get into the, that emotional range. And one guy, they, they, the organization had a big challenge with what was called horizontal integration. And that is integrating the work of various facilities around the world. And they were different cultures and all that. And so this guy raises his hand and John goes, yeah, I, I, I wish you could see me, but I'm, Imagine me standing and pointing a finger at you as I'm saying that. I go, John, 
what are you guys doing about horizontal in, uh, integration? I mean, just nasty. And John, you know, that was that would be a could be a career limiting move. And John just very calmly said, "That's a very good question, and I wish I had a very good answer." And I can tell you that the executive team we talk about that a lot, and we're not coming up with good ideas. And he took a step back so he could see the whole room, and he said, "If any of you." have any suggestions on ways that we could increase that communication, that, that horizontal integration, please let me know. We need some fresh ideas. His, you know, that's, that's a leader for me. Yeah. You know, I would want to work for that guy. In fact, when I asked people, if that's the first time they've ever saw him, if he came in right now and said, I need you to work on a project, would you volunteer? And everybody says, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it can be that simple, but it's that human connection. It's, he took exactly the same meeting, you know, he had 60 minutes, but how he chose to do it and how he chose to work with the people in that room just said so much about who he was and why you would want to work with him. Well, yeah. I mean, and that, that, I love that story because that is so critical and it's, it's, you know, it's again, it's something to run into a lot is, is. For some reason, somebody's beat it into a lot of people's heads that when you are a manager, when you are a leader, you have to have every answer to every question that ever came down the pipe. And if you don't, then you're terrible at your job. And, and as you just pointed out, that's not true. Knowing what you don't know is really what sets you apart as a leader, right? Yes. Yeah. And knowing who to ask and who to rely on and making sure those people are on your team and empowered to fill in those gaps. That's probably the next evolution of that, right? Yes. And once again, I think of going back to your the phrase burden of command. And when I've been around good good leaders, I mean, that's that's what they do. They know how to delegate. They know how to support people who are doing the work and they're willing to listen. They're willing to be influenced by those other people. It's it's a hugely powerful thing that I, I don't I don't want to say it gets ignored. Yeah, I do want to say that it gets ignored a lot. Yeah, well, and, and ignore is a good uh, good word, but it's it's also our egos, right? Our egos, <laughs> our egos don't like us to say I don't know. That's right. Yeah, uh, and and uh, so I had a buddy of mine, and I'm sure he stole it from somebody, but I stole it from him. Uh, you know, he always said, uh, you know, he'd say Breon because this was in the Marines. We called each other by our last names. He said, huh. you know how I'm in the wrong room? I said, how's that? He goes, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I'm in the wrong room. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I think that's, uh, that, that's kind of true in a lot of ways, right? If, if you know everything, oh. if you legitimately know everything, you need to push yourself a little bit and, and find out what you don't know. I, uh, you know, yeah. And I. I'm thinking about a, uh, a client that I had um, who worked at a telecommunications company. And I mean, his department really made the company successful. I, you know, I, I don't want to go into specifics, but he said, I was giving a speech. I had written a book about middle management and this was years ago. And he said, uh, and I was talking about feedback and I said something about how I hated performance reviews because they're sort of the opposite of real feedback. It's, you know, and he said, and he raised his hand. I really didn't know him other than a tiny planning meeting. He said, yeah, talk to my team. These are all the senior leaders um, about how they can get around the performance uh, management system. 
And he said, I'll leave the room. And apparently my jaw dropped. And one of the people said, no, no, he's serious. And so I did. I talked about how do you go around the system. But And then he told me later, he said, look, he said, I have, one of the things I pride myself on is I surround myself with really talented, hardworking people. He said, and so for my me to only give 10% of them outstanding ratings when maybe most of them or at least a high percentage earn that, he said, is working against what I'm trying to, you know, create. So I said, so what do you do? And here's, here's a, a good example of leadership for me. He said, I support the people. And he said, I know I'll take a hit and I'll get called in by senior management and they'll say, uh, you're Jim, you're doing it again. You're going to, and he, he said, I get this puppy dog look and I go, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. It'll never happen again. And he smiles and he goes, of course it's going to happen again. He said, but our department is making the company successful. So they aren't going to get in my way, but it's a gutsy move. And man, he peep, God, he had people around him that would challenge him would be, I mean, they, they were there just, and they wanted to do great work and he wanted them to do great work. It was, it was an amazing place uh, to be. It was very early in my consulting career. And I go, yeah, that's the way it ought to be done. Oh yeah. No, it's interesting. So I've, I've ran into to similar, I was working with an organization that used uh, what they call a five tier system. And uh, they had this one employee who, uh, you know, got rated at like a, it was like a 4.7 or 4.8 or something like that, right? And, and they asked, well, you know, what can I do to get to a five? And the response was, well, nothing. Your, your work is great. You, there's really nothing you can improve on. Well, then why am I not a five? And, and, you know, this this they went in a circle for a minute because the leader didn't want to admit the answer. But the answer was the way the performance system was set up, they only expected like, you know, maybe a small handful of people to get rated as a perfect five. And because they'd already, quote, met that quota, <laughs> this person couldn't get a five. Like, That's not how performance ratings work. <laughs> right? I mean, you should, uh, I mean, uh, and maybe this is me being naive, but you should almost want every employee in your organization to legitimately get a five, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, okay. I don't follow hockey, but I would bet from the sports I do follow that when there is a great hockey team, it's a great team. Yeah. And obviously there may be, you know, a Bobby or there may be that, but, but basically it's a great team. And so you want them all to be fives. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and so on that point, right, again, we're yeah. talking uh, about seizing moments of possibility and, and change in general. Uh, but you know, we're talking about spotting the, these moments, right. And, and, yeah. and everything we've talked about here, we've talked about, uh, how to really kind of build uh, a good model for change, how to get people involved and how to get those people on board so they can, they can find those moments. Right. Yep. And, and, and yep. so what should they be looking for? Like, like when we say seize a moment of possibility, yep. like what should these folks be looking for? Okay. Well, first of all, I would start really small. Uh, so you don't have to learn some new theory or anything. And so for instance, if your listeners uh, think about a meeting that they're going to have to go to this afternoon or tomorrow and they go, Oh no, you know, it's and all of us have to go to meetings like that every once in a while. Say if I was in charge, what's one small thing I could do to make that a better meeting. Mm -hmm. And Maybe it's leave time for questions and answers. Maybe it's 
cut back on the number of slides. Maybe it's this or that. I had a client who worked in a scientific organization, and he knew that I really hated PowerPoint as a tool to try to influence. And he yeah. said, "Where I," he said, "Where I work, you have to use PowerPoint, or it looks like you're not prepared." He said, mm -hmm. "I know that's sick, but that's the way it goes." But he called me one day and he said, "I did something, and this is an idea of like, a, for me, a, taking a, a simple thing." He said, I was making a presentation to the other scientists, and I thought, all right, typically I probably would use 50 slides in that hour or something. It was a high number. And he said, well, I, uh, what's the minimum number of slides I could use and still cover the content? He said, it was five. Mm -hmm. And he said, what happened is I covered the same content, but because I had fewer slides, there was room for people to jump in. And we ended up having a great conversation, whereas usually it would be me talking the whole time. And so there were people getting excited about the idea, people walking out talking about it. He said that never would happen. So that's taking an existing meeting, the same people, the same bad coffee, and saying, what could we do to tweak it in a little way that could have a huge impact? And that's a great place to start, uh, rather than, okay, we got this five-day planning meeting coming up, what are we gonna do? start someplace where you're comfortable and you try something out and you get a chance to say, yeah, that worked well. Maybe next time I could do this or that, or that didn't work so well, but because it was a small tweak, you're not really embarrassed by it. And uh, that, anyway, that's where I would start. And then I would start looking at things like my levels of resistance and support. I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't like you and having different lenses, but I would just start with what's in front of you that, that might be handled better. Mm. No, I love it. And I love that story. And I don't know if you heard me kind of chuckle on there because it was almost like, uh, yeah, it, it was almost like uh, you, you were there, uh, did a presentation for a science-based organization a few years back, and they, they uh, gave me and my uh, training partner uh, a two-hour time slot. And it was the same thing. You know, they love PowerPoint. They love PowerPoint full of words and all that. We turned in our, our presentation so they could load it on the, the laptop. And counting the title slide... And the contact slide, we had 14 slides. <laughs> and they're like, I, I love it. Yeah. And it was, I mean, you could hear the panic. We gave you guys two hours. Yep. <laughs> You've only got 14 slides. Mm -hmm. Where's the rest of it? That's it. Okay. <laughs> you know, so, but it, it went, like you said, and like your friend said, it went great because we did what you said. We, we built in conversation. We got a lot uh, of audience feedback and, and it was not death. And the slides we had, I think the, the most wordy one had like eight words on it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, and I think that's a good way to, uh, you know, kind of grease those skids a little bit is to don't make this change doesn't have to be a PhD level course, right? <laughs> that's 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 a good title i like that <laughs> there you go uh, there, there's your next book i'll give it to you for free <laughs> <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> um but no and, and i like what you're saying there and i gotta tell you so uh, i'd be remiss if i didn't mention because my, my my good friends uh tom and karen over to interview valet and, and their group they do an excellent job and i've given them a shout out on here many a times before but they do an excellent job of of preparing me as as a host for my guests, and they send out these great one sheets. And there's always something on here that that just makes me kind of chuckle. And I've got to I've got to know what this is about, right? <laughs> okay. I, and uh, it's it's a bullet point on, on your one sheet. Uh, this is 
why every book you've got on change and project management should come with a sticker warning <laughs> batteries not included. So, so what's that about? Okay. Um, I, I was preparing to do a presentation like this in 2018. I, I don't know why that even stands out, but they, I knew a, the people in the room knew a lot about change and yet they still invited me in to talk about how do you build support for change and, you know, and all of that. And, and I remember my bookshelf and I've got a couple of shelves just filled with stuff on leading change, change management, project management. I mean, it's, it's really, really good. And I started looking at that and saying, all right, then if we got all those good resources, like you mentioned, John Cotter's work before, and if we got all that, why aren't we successful all the time or most of the time? And that's what we thought, oh, each one of those books, including my, my books, by the way, needed to have this little sticker saying, warning, batteries not included, meaning if it's going to work, it needs our energy to mm. do that. We're the ones who have to bring something to it. Otherwise, people are just going to go through the motions. They'll come to the meetings. They'll do see student work. I mean, they're not idiots. But to really get what you need, uh, you know, you've got to say, all right, how do we infuse what we're already doing with some energy, some excitement, some urgency? Mm. No, I love that. And that's, that, that's truth. I, I love it. I love it. Well, Rick, we have been talking here for closing in on about 45 minutes here. And, and I don't know about you, but this has been an outstanding conversation. And, and I thank you for having it with me. Oh, I, I, this is, you can't see me smiling. I'm just, you know, I'm laughing when you're talking uh, and, and just smiling. This is right. It's been a great conversation for me. Too. No, I love it. I love it. Oh, before we, uh, before we close out here, um, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover that, that you'd like to leave listeners with? There is, and it's all related to everything we've been talking about. But what I've been focusing on uh, more recently is looking at the life of a change from the moment that you know you need to do something up until you're doing something that's making a difference. You're making more money, you got better quality, whatever it might be. I've, I've identified four pockets of energy. And these, these energies, these pockets are there whether you like it or not, or whether you notice them or not. But if you, if you ignore them, they can work against you. And I'll give you an example. The okay. first pocket is that people need to feel a sense of urgency. In fact, that's a phrase that Cotter uses. And people, stakeholders need to go, wow, this is important. It's, it's urgent because it's a real opportunity or it's a real threat. But you can look at people and you can tell, is there that sense of urgency? Or anybody said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's what our plan is. That you got those people going, wow, what can we do? Those, those people in the healthcare institution who went into the CEO and said, hey, we looked at these data over. We started taking a look around. We got to do something. It's that kind of urgency. And what happens is often we start a change right after that. And that's right after that is when we've come up with the idea, we've come up with a plan, and now we're trying to get people's energy. But we've just missed this golden opportunity where we're saying, hey, did you know that the house is on fire? Maybe we should do something right now. Or there's a real opportunity to do whatever, whatever. And so 
what I've been doing is really helping people look at, all right, so what do these moments, these pockets of energy look like? And when it goes well, what do you guys do? Here's something really exciting is just imagine that they were kind of putting this on a, a map. What, what's going on? And, and they often they say, oh, here's what went on. Here's why the energy went down. We, we promised to do a follow-up meeting and we didn't. Or we didn't take any of the suggestions they made. Or they might come up with a few things and I'll go, well, here's what excites me, actually. I say, so is there anything that those leaders or you could have done differently? And almost always these people go, oh, yeah. And they get, they get excited. They go, yeah, here's what we could have done. And I go, well, could you do that this time? And they look at me like I'm a genius or something. You know, for something, it's what I love about it is they identified the problem. They identified why it went wrong. And they were able to identify, here's something we could do to avoid that problem. And so what I've been doing with clients is really saying, look, there are these four pockets of energy and you really need to pay attention to them so that you can capitalize on them rather than let them, you know, get out of hand. And I talk about it in my recent books. I'm, I don't think there's time for me to go through all four of those, but that's, that's the one thing I wanted to leave people with. Yeah. Well, no, I think that's good. Uh, I think that's really good. And uh, so again, talking about uh, your latest book, Seizing Moments of Possibility, uh, I highly encourage folks to go out and, and grab a copy of it. Um, and if I'm reading this right, it's going to be available for free on your website, correct? Yes, on rickmauer.com. It's, it's, it's really obvious where to get it. And yes, the only, it's an ebook when you get it on my website. It's absolutely free. And there's no, there's no gimmick. There's no, it's not a sales hook. I'm not doing anything at all. You get the book. And I'm hoping people will use it. Uh, I've also just uh, recently put it, a paperback version on uh, Amazon because some people actually prefer that. And this week we put in uh, an audio book version with me doing the narration because a lot of people, when I offered the free book, they said, well, aren't you going to have an audio version? And so both the audio and the paperback cost money, but the ebook I'm keeping free. It's not available on Kindle or anywhere except my website. And I, I just want people to use it. And I want people to tell their friends about it and use it because it's, it's meant to be a practical book. I mean, it's only 70 pages long, but uh, people are saying nice things about it. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, going back to what we were talking about before, I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be an encyclopedia. 70 pages can get a lot of great information and, and, uh, uh, yeah, no, and I, I love the fact that you're you're giving it away for free because that is uh, outstanding. And uh, yeah, and I'm a big fan of audiobooks too. So thanks for letting me know that it is is going to be on Audible or is on Audible because uh, that that's how I consume most of my stuff is is audiobooks. But uh, yeah, folks, listeners, free. <laughs> it's a great price any day of the year. <laughs> so there go you get go. The, go get your copy of of the book and uh, and, and keep it handy. Um, well, you mentioned your website, yeah. uh, and I mentioned your YouTube channel a couple of times here, but what are some other ways that, that folks can, uh, can, can follow you and reach out? Are you on Twitter? Uh, any of that stuff? I'm on, but I never use it. Uh, <laughs> and I'm on Facebook, but I found that my clients use Facebook to, uh, take pictures of what they had for dinner last night and their cats and their grandkids. And it's, it's not a good place for me to be for business. So LinkedIn is where I, uh, where I post, I posted actually three times today. That's really unusual for me. 
but I'll post once or twice a week. I send out a free newsletter, so if you just get on my email list, uh, and I send those out like every week or two, and they're really short. I want everything I send out these days. I want it to be really short. I want it to be practical, uh, and you can all that's free. The, but the website is probably the most current and the best you know, repository for the stuff I've come out with, and there's just tons of free stuff there. Okay, outstanding. And again, I'll make sure that that gets in the in the show notes for folks so they can just. Uh, they can just click on it. Um, and I'm with you. Like LinkedIn is probably where I get the most bang for my buck as well. Um, well, Rick, I mean, again, I really appreciate you spending the time with us and, and sharing the stories and, and uh, hopefully taking a little bit of uh, scare out of change for folks. I think uh, if we can do that, this was a very successful discussion. Would you agree? I agree. And I just, there's one quote I use in the book that I love. I just got to give it. It comes from the great philosopher, Yogi Berra. I hear he played baseball too. And he, he said that you can observe a lot just by watching. And I think rather than reading another book uh, or going to another workshop right now, just start observing yeah. with open eyes. You know, the, the Ono approach to uh, you know, the Toyota production line, it can make a huge, huge difference. So. No. I, I agree. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Uh, you got anything else in the works before before we wrap up here? Or uh, you you uh, getting back in the swing of going out and doing talks? Or, or what do you got going on? The talks I'm doing, I'm speaking at two conferences, uh, actually next month. But I pre-recorded those. Uh, and the one's out of Mexico. The other one, I'm not sure where it's out of. So I've been doing a lot of talks, but virtually uh, from a lot of different international hosts. What I am doing in my consulting is doing what I'm calling strategic work sessions where a planning group gets together and say, hey, we always get stuck and we don't get the energy we need. Can you help us? And I've just come, I've been really working on this three hour intervention where we just roll up our sleeves and meet virtually or in person and say, so what's going on? And we look at those pockets of energy. And, and so by the end of the three hours, they've got a new lens that they can use. And also they've come up with some ideas so that they don't need Rick Maurer in the room all the time. They can, they can keep building on that. So I'm very excited about that. I'm uh, doing some stuff to try to get some of those on my calendar right now so I can keep learning from it and tweaking it. Mm, no, I love that. That, that. That's a great idea. It's a great idea. All right. Well, Rick, um, I really appreciate you and appreciate your time. And, and thank you again for being with me and, and uh, my guests uh, on this show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Earl. It's been a real pleasure for me, too. Oh, man, it's been great. And, and listeners, I know you've taken a lot of uh, great information from this. Make sure you get on there and click the links, get your copy of the book. Uh, do some of these things that, that we've talked about here. You know, that you have a lot of responsibility in this process. And I like the way that Rick puts it. Seize those moments of possibility. Uh, try to help move your organization forward on a continuous basis instead of waiting for change to come because change is going to come. That, that's an inevitability. Change is going to happen. You may as well be ahead of it and driving the change instead of letting, letting the change drive you. And I want to thank you all for being a part of this discussion and, and, and sticking around with us. You know, if you need to reach out to me, it's burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, keep rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show and doing all those great things that you have been doing uh, so guests like Rick can get his message spread further and reach more people and make a bigger impact on the world like he wants to. 
Uh, that's a great role that you can play for us, and we appreciate you doing it. Uh, with that, thank you all for your time, and I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Hass Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Electric Acid.